Welcome to the C3 Church Vancouver podcast. We know you'll be blessed by this message. For more information on our church, check us out at www.c3v.ca. How are you? Can you all hear? You're all in good spirits? You're all ready to take up the sword of the the word of God? Thank you, Jesus. Well, we've been doing a series called Pushback, and um, it's related to the story of Nehemiah. And um, I was kind of encouraged last week when Pastor Phil on the presence uh, conference video gave his testimony and then spoke out of the book of Daniel out of one of the great incidents where the in the life of the prophet Daniel where the writing was on the wall and um, uh, he talked about facing off with the demonic and uh, um, the fact that he in his early years as a Christian had been uh, set free from uh, stuff and uh, it kind of put a bit of a personal um, angle, if you like, on the series that I've been seeking to do with you. And my series has not necessarily been about the personal confrontation that you and I will have in the spiritual realm. It's really to do with coming into this place and making a major shift and step in God that we should anticipate bad, but that we should be aware that the enemy, the enemy of our soul, but the enemy of the church does not like territory being taken by the church. And any church that is aware of its core and is walking on a prophetic journey, meaning that they are feeling strongly led and guided by the Lord to where they're going, is going to face an opposition to the Word of God, is going to face an opposition to the steps that they are taking or have taken. And, you know, I I don't want to scare you, but your bunkmate has got malaria. No, that's a line from an old song, from a song called, Hello, Mada, Hello, Fada. Here I am at Cape Granada. Remember that song? Camp Granada, don't let this scare you, but my bunkmate has got malaria, you know. Um, I don't want to scare you, but I want you, I want you <laughs> to be aware and in the know and prepared if you haven't already faced the conflict, it's there. It's there. And I feel as a leader leading you into something that it would be important for me in the early stages of the something of walking in the will of God, fulfilling the task at hand, doing what God has called us to do and stepping up to, you know, we use language uh, to another level. Stepping up, I believe, in the call of God and purpose of God for us as a church there is going to be a kickback or three. But don't let this scare you. We've got a pushback for the kickback. And if you've stepped back, you're going to make a comeback. (laughs) 
playing with words but not, putting it out there. Now, um, look at that, it happens. It's up there. And we're basing it on the text in Nehemiah 2.20 uh, where he, in arriving in Jerusalem with the restorers, the group of people that were with him, he immediately came into conflict with the powers that be. The powers that be were governors and people in power in terms of civic authority and religious authority. And when Nehemiah came in with permission from the highest authority or the two highest authorities, one, the king of the land, um, and secondly, uh, God, in the will of God, to restore the defenses of the city that were broken down, the powers that be erupted. They have vested interest. Vested meaning getting something out of this for themselves. They've got position, they've got control, and they are probably extracting for themselves from those that do control. So when someone comes in with a higher mandate, with a call, with permission, um, it upsets them because it immediately becomes a threat on them and on their vested interest for being there and holding on. There was no sense that Nehemiah had come with any direction from the king to remove Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, to name the unholy trinity that he faced up against. He wasn't told to remove them. He just had a letter that gave him higher authority. This is just a little passing thought. <laughs> the Bible says to submit to all authority. I'm talking about Romans 13 here. It tells us to submit ourselves to civic authorities. It says that if we want to live peaceably in the land, we should pray for our rulers. It tells us to be obedient and good citizens. But at times, by the will of God, people have to stand for what is God's under the higher authority, which is higher than the authority that's in the land, and people have to stand up. You think of being a Christian in Iran today. You think of being a Christian in Sudan today. You think of being a Christian in North Korea today. There are times when you have to stand up and it'll cost you, but you have a higher authority. They say, don't preach the gospel, you're going to preach the gospel. Just saying. So don't come speeding down the road when the angel of God pulls you up and say, God told me so I can go over the speed limit because I'm not under the law. You're not under the law in terms of its legalities in the Bible in which you had relationship with God, living out the holy code. But the Bible does tell you to submit to every ordinance of man. It tells you to obey your authorities. 
Now, I've just put that out there, all right? I had a friend who actually was a Christian policeman. The two can go together. And um, he would pull people over going to church and tell them the very verse I was just telling you that they needed to submit. Dear Gilmore. Now, putting that all out there, going on a little further. So Nehemiah arrives and there is pushback. My title for today's message is don't, Devils Don't Dance. Devils Don't Dance. I don't know how far this message will go, but I hope it goes to more ears that are here, that are not here, rather. Not because I'm singling out anybody in my mind. But, <laughs> but a lot of Christians dance with the devil. You say, what, are you, what do you mean by that? Huh? Well, they like to get into conversations with him. They feel particularly that they're the ones under attack. They talk about demons as if they're filling their house in every corner. The demons are in their car trying to grab the wheel. They talk about that they are the specific target of Satan. And I like to ask the question, what makes you so special? You know, Martin Luther, one of the greatest reformers in the church, the church is reputed to have had a manifestation of the devil come beside his bed and he rolled over and he saw it and he said, oh, it's you and went back to sleep. So he didn't dance with the devil. If the devil is manifesting himself in such ways, he's thinking that he's got power over you. If he can get you to converse with him and dance with him, he sucks you along a track. He's an expert deceiver. He's a liar from the beginning. I'm quoting little parts of the Bible. Doubt to devour, destroy. So if he can get you to engage on this term, if he turns up, turn over and go to sleep. Because he thinks he's on his terms. Don't meet the devil on his terms. I'm telling you. I heard Pastor Phil say it last week. I said, Pastor Phil, you're stealing my thunder. But maybe it needs to be said over and over and over again. If you're walking down the street and you're followed by a demoniac crying out, these are servants of the Most High God. Here's the servant of the Most High God. Don't go praise the Lord. Amen. I'm a servant of the Most High God. Ignore it, ignore it, ignore it for three or four days like the Apostle Paul did. And when you're sick of it, tell her to shut up. I feel good. You see, the Apostle Paul didn't turn around and go, you know, he didn't get flattered by it. That's the first thing. Second thing is he didn't turn around and go, well, we've got a demon here. I want to show you people, <laughs> you know. Somebody sent me a video of a pastor in a foreign country, which is any country outside of Canada, 
And the guy is casting out demons. That's okay. I'm glad, I'm glad we, we do that and we, we have a church that believes in this. And this demoniac guy comes up there to be prayed for and the pastor whines at him with his finger and the guy goes back and the pastor gets the guy moving according to his finger until he's down on the floor, just like you would playing with a dog that's utterly submitted. I have to tell you, those sort of things appall me. We don't dance with the devil. I don't care what power or psychological whatever or anything you might have, we don't dance with the devil. If he starts displaying himself, he's thinking he's got some, you know, good reason to. He's, don't take him on, on his own ground. It's a principle of war. Don't dance with the devil. You know, you, so you be like the apostle Paul. Don't feel obligated until after quite a few days you're that annoyed and this guy's ruining the call and the cause. Then turn around and bark like I did a moment ago. You know, don't dance with the devil. Oh, he's coming at me! I, I, I remember like I got this call again in a in another country. Uh, in another church, in the church that Patty and I were pastoring. I got this call one night, and one of the young ladies, there were, there were a bunch of them living together, and they go, oh, Pastor Fletch, you need, you need to come around. We go, there's demons, and they're manifesting. And I said, uh, how, how would that be? And well, the, the doorknob's turning, the doorknob's turning. And I said, again, I said, um, why, why do you think you're getting so much attention? I didn't dispute whether the doorknob turned or didn't turn. I said, why doesn't he turn up in my house and twiddle the doorknobs? And I'm not being smart or better. But you don't dance with the devil, and it's very unlikely he's going to do stuff like that. But you start getting terrorized by it, you start getting mesmerized by it. He's an angel of light. He comes as a mesmerizer. He gets your attention. He looks good, looks fun, or he looks terrible, but you start looking at him, and when you look, you become fascinated, and, and, and fascinated even in fear. And you start dancing around that stuff, and he's got you. He's got you by fear. He's now in control. I want a church that is bold. <laughs> I want a people who are armed. You will face off the devil, but you'll set the terms. It'll be on your ground, on God's ground. And if he manifests somehow, if you have some horrible thing happen, you're going to not be in fear. You're either going to go, oh, or you're going to just at the right moment turn and say, just get out of here. We're going to get to that get out of here bit in a moment. Pretty serious stuff. But church, we're going to see in the years to come some amazing deliverances in people's lives. Demons are going to be chased out of people's lives. People who are under their control. As God puts salvation and deliverance in the house, it's the same word in the, in the uh, Greek, in the New Testament. 
we're going to go on to the territory that they think they have got control of, which is lies, and we're going to dismiss them. We're not going to play with them. Just one other little thought on here. But we served wonderful time with Derek Prince, one of the greatest teacher preachers of the the last century and um, charismatic movement, probably informed much of the Pentecostal and charismatic church even to this day on the issue of facing the demonic and deliverance. Not only did we have good time with Brother Dick, to call him, um, we also had good time on Basham. Derek would probably say Don informed him. And Don Basham was amazing in his anointing. I've seen him walk down a room and the demons coming out of people down the line before he's anywhere near them. My point is just simply this. We served time with these people. We had conferences in which they were our speakers. I've got to tell you, they were the largest attended conferences ever. As you put up the signboards, you're dealing with demons and all the weirdos come. You know, you know how the, the gnats fly to the light? Gnats. Gnats. People like a show. I mean, Derek Prince, 1,500 people stand up and start preaching. While he's preaching, the place starts screaming. People start collapsing. Demons start. And he enlisted a few of us to help him, and we would spend the, the rest of the day <laughs> ministering to people. In a, an anointing like that, God sets, God sets the grounds of the war. It happens. We're basically coming in to clean up agents to set people free. But we don't play with demons. And the problem was for us in those same conferences, the extremists came, the people who wanted a show, the people who tried doing this and that and casting out demons, and demons was the it was, became the sort of flavor of the month for them, and they, um, everything was a demon, you know. If you had a stomach ache, it was a demon of pain. If it was a headache, it was a, <laughs> you know. And, and in actual fact, by playing on the wrong territory, they became part of the wrong side. It was, again, fear and intimidation begins to breed on that ground. And that's where I'm coming to today. Because I want this church to be able to face off with the devil personally, face off corporately, and then when we're ministering to people, give them conversion or deliverance. Come to Jesus and get out of him. Get out of her. <laughs> Set them free. And bring them through to freedom. Nehemiah comes into Jerusalem 
And he immediately faces kickbacks. There's five kickbacks that I'm going to talk to you about this morning. All right? Five kickbacks. You know some of them because we've talked a couple, about a couple of them. But when he arrives, he aroused the interest of the vested interest. These evil guys erupted. It just says in the text there, they were very upset, they were angry that anyone would come to the interests of the people. They were upset, they were angry. They were very upset, they were angry. How do you know that? How do you know that? It's simple, but I'm just saying, how do you know that? You know it because of the flare-up. <laughs> if you're reading my daily sort of blog on this in the Profitea Facebook page, I talked about the frill-necked lizard, Australia. Now, we had them in our yard in the house, the last house we owned in Australia. And um, they're, they're grey-looking creatures, about a foot long, and uh, they would climb up the bark, uh, the, outside, the, 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 the trees around, and, and they blended in very well. They're rather wonderfully camouflaged um, lizards. And um, that's their first line of defense. But their second line of defense, to harass them, these lizards would inflate a frill, a collar, a ruff around their neck, and it would make them look like maybe twice the size around the head. This big, horny, spiky thing would just fluff up, you know. And it, it's supposed to make you feel like the lizard has turned into a dragon. Well, the Bible says that the serpent, that old serpent is the dragon, you know. And um, it's designed to intimidate a predator. I've got to tell you something, they're harmless, you can buy one as a pet in foreign countries. But you can pick him up. I picked him up by the tail. I don't go for the face because, you know, if they've been eating other things. But they're intimidators. And when Nehemiah comes into Jerusalem with the restorers, they're angry, they're very angry. How do you know? You can tell by the frill. <laughs> if you're not getting frilled, you're probably no threat. First Peter 5 verse 8 says, The adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Prowls around like a roaring lion. He's a roaring lion. Let me just dissect this a little bit. Cut this up. A roaring lion, a snarling lion. Why does the lion roar? Why didn't he just say prowls around like a lion? A stealthy lion. A roaring lion. Why a roaring lion? Because it's designed to intimidate. That, that snarling roar you hear coming through the bushes is designed to get you to back off the territory. Right? A growling lion. But it also goes about. He's prowling. So the growling and the prowling. He's, he's guarding his territory. He's aware of 
of any intrusion, or he wants to be on his territory, what he thinks is his territory, and he wants you off it. So he goes about, he's prowling and he's growling. That's the first kind of encounter that you can have. Peter says, be watchful, be vigilant. You know, the one who gets devoured by the prowling, growling lion is the one who wasn't watchful. That's why I'm putting it out there. I watched the leadership team in the last two months go through each one of them. What I would think is major personal battles in business, partnerships, accusations across the office, uh, stalking, uh, major sickness challenge, uh, financial uh, suit. Uh, I, I, could, I could probably keep listing. And it's like in two months, every single one of the folks that were involved in the decision to step to this, to take the church from limited operation to begin to maximize the operation, every single one has had a punch or two or three or four in the mouth. It's intimidating. I'm not saying all of it's the devil. I'm just saying the devil uses it, but it's intimidating. What he wants us to do is back off, back down, not get so excited, not get so involved. What does Nehemiah do? He says, God, chapter 2 and 20, God, you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're called us to prosper, and we will arise and build. And the third thing he says is, you have no place in here. See that? Three things. He declares God. He faces off the pushback with a declaration of faith. God, you're going to prosper us. Then, <laughs> oh my God, we will arise and build. He determines to get on, get in and get on. You see, the, the devil's wanting you to go, eh, eh. it's like coming near the pool and it's cold. Eh. And somebody calls out, the hot tub's warm. <laughs> you know? He says, I'm in. And I'm going to be constructive, not destructive. I'm going to build. Uh, some people get so messed up when they hit the, hit the encounter, they back off. Then they absorb some of the fear and complaint of the enemy. And they start to echo. It's too hard. It's too bad. I thought. Now, this hasn't happened here. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not naming names and taking prisoners, you know.
there's another series to be done about what happened on the inside of the people. But Nehemiah said, let's rise and build. So there was a declaration, there was a determination to take this thing through to fulfillment. For us, it's not a building, it's a city, it's right out that window. It's the, it's the call and cause that God had in this place being restored through us for whatever reasons this place was placed here for the work of God. We're on a journey of discovering that. We're, God's going to restore that which was lost. A hundredfold. We're in the lineup to pick up a great godly heritage and call and speak to our city. And Nehemiah goes, God's going to prosper this vision. We will rise up. We're going we're to go for it and build it. In our time, we're going to live for this dream. And then finally he says, get out of here, devil. Intimidation, people, wants to get you to back off and back down. I just want to remind you that when Peter said that the devil goes around like a roaring lion, before he said those actual words, he says, cast all your anxieties upon the Lord. Intimidation plays on anxiety. It preys, P-R-E-Y. It preys on our timidity. Intimidation, we've all got areas of timidity. We've got areas of anxiety. We've got areas where we back up. You get too close to that, it's too close to home. We back off. And the devil will play on the timidity. Pray on it. <laughs> Peter says, cast all your anxieties upon God. Be watchful, be vigilant, for the devil goes around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And then when he finishes off the statement, he says, whom resist firm in the faith. So there's no loser here when it comes to us, in the perspective of Peter. He's not saying that devil is so downright dangerous you have no hope. He's saying, put your anxieties, your timidities up to the Lord. Don't get scared now, but be watchful, be vigilant, because this is happening for those who don't listen, who don't prepare, who aren't watchful. But then he says, but you can resist him. And this is what we're wanting to empower you about. This is why we want you to stand up in the middle of your nightmare and say, devil, get out of my head, get out of my bedroom, get out of my dark space. The darkness is light to me. God is in the dark. He's in the light. He's everywhere. And God fills my space, not you. And you don't play with my head any longer. You're out of here. See? Or you just roll over and go to sleep and say, thank you, Jesus. I must be a threat. Did you ever think that? I must be a threat. All those... Well, be a threat. And if you're not, roll over and go to sleep. You're in the hand of the Lord. Don't dance with the devil. Okay, so intimidation happens. The next thing goes on. They, they start to build and they jump to... And in chapter 2 of Nehemiah uh, 
story here. Uh, it says, But when Sanballat, and this is verse 19, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant of, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion or claim in Jerusalem. I just quoted that in part uh, uh, before, a moment ago. But look at this. What is this that you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? If he can't intimidate you, he wants you to question your right to be there. So he gets you to question your authority by questioning your authority. Are you being a rebel? Do you really have permission? It's like, who do you think you are? Well, put your hand on your own hip and turn around and say, who do you think you are, buddy? I've got a title deed. I've got a slip of permission from the king. And what's more, I'm acting under a much higher authority than you. But you see, intimidation starts to unseat your confidence. But if you withstand that, there's another comeback. There's another pushback. And it starts to try and get your, at your authority, your sense of right to be there. And the best way to do that is through accusation. Oh, I've got a file on you. I know your failures. I know your weakness. I know your sins. The devil's got a dirty file. He just slips a few little things out of the file. And you're saying to yourself, yeah, I shouldn't be doing this. I haven't got the authority to do this. I'm, I'm not good enough. Of course you're not. You never were. Because all your goodness is imputed to you from God in terms of what makes you acceptable. And secondly, so is your authority. It's derived from God. It's divinely derived authority as a delegated authority. There ain't any better authority than that other than being God himself. And you step into the ring not under your own power, but under the delegated authority of God as a delegate. So he, he wants to question your authority. He wants to get you feeling pretty bad about yourself. Now, if he can't get that to work on you, it's like all these things. He goes to the next level. Nehemiah 4 verse 13 says, When Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and completely enraged, and he ridiculed the Jews. He spoke before his brothers in the army of Samaria. What are these feeble Jews doing? Can they restore it themselves? You know, like, Oh man, that mob, can they offer sacrifices? Are they good enough? Can they finish? I wonder where this can they offer sacrifice business comes from. Because remember, he's, he's got a pal called Tobiah, uh, whose, whose name means something you know, good about God, and, uh, and, and, and yet he's on the wrong side. You know, beware, beware of religious opposition, religious spirits. Uh, and, but the text goes on. Can they finish in a day? Uh, can they revive the stones from the heaps, the dust and the rubbish, and the ones that have been burned? You see, 
they're throwing stuff at Nehemiah and the restorers in the hope that it will weaken their resolve by challenging their capacity. If the devil can't get you, can't undermine your authority, he's going to get you to doubt your capacity. That's what he's going to try and do. I mean, I mean, I mean. He's going to work on that. He's going to tell you how small you are, how, how dumb you are, how, how this is too big for you, how this is too great. Who does he think you, you know, who do you think you are? Uh, I, I mean, I love that last little statement that they, they threw out. You know, it said, even if what they're building, if a fox should get up on it, it'll break down their stone wall. I mean, they're just, they're just saying, you guys are pathetic. And they're driving that home one after the other with all these thoughts. You can't get at your authority. Undermine your authority is going to try and get you to doubt your capacity. Can we do this? But Nehemiah and the restorers keep going. And in chapter 4, verse 6, it says, So we built the wall, the entire wall, Joined together, they're getting progress here, to half its height, for the people had a heart to work. See, they determined to get involved. And when Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs and Ashdite heard uh, um, of the repair of the wall, Jerusalem, uh, how it went on, um, and that the breaches were being closed, they were very angry. So there's this continuous stir up. But look here in verse 8, and I want to read it to you from the King James Version. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. A firestorm of opposing views. A, I, I wrote it here, a confusion conspiracy. It's like the, in the it's like they went out and gathered as many as they could to speak against them determined to go down there and all of them be a threat at the same time. All of them cause trouble. All of them cause disruption. In other words, to bring confusion. The Bible says that God is not the author of confusion. Confusion can come through a, a myriad of attacking thoughts. It comes through a whole bunch of people. It can come through a family opposition. It can come through, it can come through criticism. But it can even come through well-meaning suggestions. I got a bit away for you. <laughs> Get out of here. You'd be much more successful if you see. And all these thoughts streaming in. Conspiracy. To cloud your thinking. You could say that trying to crowd your thinking. I gotta tell you, this is one of the areas I get beaten up on sometimes. The mind is the battleground for most of this. And yet the demonic is playing there. That's why the scripture tells us that our weapons are strong to the pulling down of strongholds. The strongholds are not devil castles. The strongholds of mind. The strongholds of thoughts. The things that are built up in us in attitudes and stance through whatever we've gone through and other stuff and where we've kind of built a a fortress around those things. That's what Paul's talking about. And our spiritual warfare is as much in dismantling 
battling the strongholds of our own thinking and anything else. But this is where the battleground is. It's the battleground for the mind. Crowd your mind, cloud your thinking, cause confusion. I don't know which way is up there. Oh, man, I thought we had that. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know. Finally, Nehemiah is pretty much getting near the end of completing the wall in chapter 6 and verse 7. And these dudes, they just won't give up. Sam Ballot, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and a whole bunch of others. And they say to him, look, hey, how about we do this? How about we go out to one of the villages out in the plain of Ono. Now, he's, Sanballat is doing a, a Kim Jong-un. Let, 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 let's have some peace talks. Let, let's, let's sit down and see if we can come to something together. Let's, reason, let's be reasonable. If the devil's saying, let's be reasonable, you be absurd. <laughs> Faith is always far-fetched for a devil. The devil will come up and say, oh, get real. Come on, we need to talk about this. Get real. Faith is always far-fetched for a devil. Come on, let's talk about this. Let's parlay. That's why I've been telling you all the way through this message, don't dance with devils, because devils don't dance. They destroy. When they set the ground, when they determine where the fight is, you're sucking into the vortex. Just don't bother. I love Nehemiah's response to this. He says, why should I come down to you? What? <laughs> I love it. He just sent him a note. I'm doing a great work. Why should I come? You know, to be honest, I've seen this even in, in the circles of faith, in church life. I've had, not, not in this city at all, but I've had it where people say, why don't, why don't you guys just tone down, stop this, and become part of this minister's initiative and effort. You know, give, give that away to do this. But what they're not at all buying into is the word of the Lord, the sense of call, and the mandate and mission upon the church and the, and the pastor that's doing it. They're just saying, oh, look, aren't you for unity? Aren't you for this? Aren't you for that? You know, all the nice religious things have played out. But come out onto the plain of Ono and stop doing that because what they're not telling you is that bugs them to death. They didn't like that. Some of their people went to that and got blessed. You know? I'm sorry. I, I know of one very respected senior pastor who when was faced with this said to the people putting the proposition to him, he said, look, I'll come to your three-day meeting 
three-day no agenda meeting. I'll come to your three-day no agenda meeting if you can promise me that back in the house, the momentum of souls being saved every day that's happening in this house doesn't get interrupted. They couldn't guarantee. They said, oh, no, you see, you're so much for, you're so much for your own vision and that, 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 you know. And they, and they, they, you know, Nehemiah would say, I can't come down off the wall. I'm doing a great work. God's got me in place. This is happening right now, see. I, I can't. I'm sorry. You know. But these guys don't like that. They get religious about it. I, I just want to put it out there for all of us. Oh, no is a no-no. Oh, no, is a no-no. There's a task. There's a call. There's a vision. God puts you in it. You're part of it. You determine to go with it. And then there comes all the other options. All the other options. They'll flourish around you. Oh, we need you there because you've got this there. You know, you've actually got a really big car and we need you to pick up people who are the pastors and the ministers coming in from overseas. And, you know, you've got the, you've got the limo. Oh, could you, and, and look, oh, man, you are such a... We, we need you in our, in our worship team over here. And can you just do this? And, and oh, yes, and uh, um, we don't want to tell you, but you've got a lot of money and you'd be really, really good to sit on the front row of our church. And uh, for, Now, I'm being silly and facetious, but you see... You see, I know as a young man, when I was coming into the call of God, as I started to emerge in the vision and call with the team that God placed us in, I started to get opportunities from churches who said things like, not about limos, I didn't have a limo. I had a 1950s car. But they saw anointings. Oh, we could use a guy like you. I'm just saying, oh no, there's an owner. We sorted that out at the time of intimidation. At the time of intimidation, we said, the God of heaven will prosper us. We will arise up and build. Get out of here. And that attitude prevails all the way through the story of Nehemiah. In essence, that's what he's living out in the story. Those three things. Those three things are a declaration of faith. The God of heaven will prosper. I'm involved in a vision. It's awesome. I'm going with God. And you declare it. You declare it in the face of opposition. You declare it in the face of subtle invite. You declare it in, in, in the face of confusion. Then he says, we as servants will arise and build. We determined to involve. We resolved to involve. We're getting in. We're getting on. And we're going for it. We're living this dream. There's lots of good dreams. This is not about commenting about everything being demonic around us. This is just saying that the devil will use all sorts of stuff. He, beware, the, beware the Tobiah that's there. It's not that they're evil. In what they do, it's just that the devil can take you. And if he takes you away from the call of God by titillating some kind of desire to be personally uh, attended you know, to or given fame or opportunity, I'm telling you, and you miss the call of God, then it does become evil. It does. You're distracted. 
from a holy calling. Wow. Think about that. This is not for me to tell you what that is. This is for you to decide and determine utterly because this is not a word of control. But as you walk with God, I have to make it clear to you, these are some of the fighting grounds that you have when you start to do the holy task. This is where you have to sort these things out for yourself. It may be that that is the holy task over there, wherever over there is. But if, if you've sorted it out, like Nehemiah and the restorers, you're sorting it out right through to the end. It says in the text here, we haven't read it, but five times these guys came and said, come out to Ono. They were persistent. Man, you, we've got a villa out there. We can all meet there and have a party together. You know, we've got, man, come out and pray with us. Come, oh, look, man, honestly, We'll look after you. Of course you will. You'd do anything to tame them. But this man, Nehemiah, says, I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. I'll know, where, I'll know what I need to get involved in. And this ain't it. Whew. Oh no is an oh no. Declare your faith. Determine your direction. And finally, dismiss the devil. Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me. Sorry, when I, when I, it's like at the beginning of my message, I scared you. When I start to get into that zone, I start to get authoritative. But if anything, it, let, it, let it work on your memory of the moment that the one we get mad at is the devil, not people. Not church, not other churches, not other Christians, not even bad people who need our love. We fight not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers. I've come right to the very end here. But we dismiss the devil with a certain sense of authority. And I love what, what Nehemiah says here. You have no portion or right or claim. You keep your nose out of here. I've forgotten how the uh, uh, message version says, but it's something like that. Like, out. And I'm, 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 I'm hoping some of you will rise up and do a bit of shouting in your car, <laughs> in your home, in your prayer walk. I mean, try not to do it <laughs> at Lonsdale Key in front of everybody. There, there might be a van waiting with some guys in a white coat. And you, you might shout all the way to the hospital, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. But there needs to be a rise up. There needs to be a holy anger that can say to the devil, get out here. Like Paul shouted, like Paul demanded that demon leave that little girl that was following him around, annoying him all those days. There needs to come the moment where you, where you say, enough's devil, I'm, I'm, and you get up out of your bed. You're not going to have one more nightmare like that, uh, provoking your sleep uh, uh, like that. You're going to get up and you're going to say, out, out, out. But you're not going to start talking to it. You're not going to start playing. You're not going to live in the fear of it. Try going to sleep first to get rid of the fear. But when you're ready, when you're on God's ground, go for it. Oh, Jesus. 
going to read three scriptures, going to do this table here. Oh, this is going to be good. This table is a declaration of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Colossians 2, 13 and 15 says this. When you, meaning you and I, when, when we were incapable of responding to God, you were unrighteous, we didn't have the authority, all the stuff that we weren't, <laughs> God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven. The dirt file comes out on you to accuse you, to undermine your authority. Think of this. First, sorry, Colossians 2, 13 to 15. All sins forgiven. The slate wiped clean. That old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. He stripped, that is Christ, he stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority on the cross. What authority do you have? I'll tell you what authority I have. I come as a resurrected son or daughter of God. I'm living in my resurrection now. I came up out of the waters of baptism and my sins were cleansed, my sins were forgiven and I'm saying that I'm standing now in the authority of Christ. That devil has stripped you of all your authority and this is what I'm preaching hard at today. This bread, this cup, reminds us of that moment when the devil thought he had it. <laughs> and God came through and took everything, stripe and rank and authoritative stance and whatever off him and reduced him. Jesus said in Luke 10, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall hurt you. He says, nonetheless, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. See, again, it's like Jesus says, don't get all caught up with, you know, I could deal with demons, you know. Don't get, don't get, he says, don't get, don't get so happy about it. Get on with the real thing. But when he said that, don't rejoice in this, but, uh, but rejoice in your, that your names are written in heaven. In the middle of it, he says, but the spirits are subject to you. It's a fact, saint. You're empowered to deal with the devil. They're subject to you. Don't be subject to them. Stop playing around talking to them. Stop responding in fear. Stop having your dreams. Stop talking devils and things and using all the old medieval pictures that don't necessarily fit the biblical concept. Mark 16, verse 17, Jesus says, These signs shall accompany those who believe. In my name. I'll cast out devils. In my name they shall cast out devils. Stand with me now. Thank you, Lord.
Thanks for listening to the C3 Vancouver podcast. For more information on our church, check us out at www.c3v.ca.